Happy Friday, everybody. It is the most magical day of the week. Everybody's favorite day. Thank fucking God it is Friday. No, but seriously, Friday is a great day, and it's not a great day because the weekend is almost here, which is what most of you guys are thinking. Work's over. You're ready to chill, ready to crack open a beer, and you're ready to do your damn thing. And I get it. But my favorite thing about Friday is reflection. Now, I do take the weekends off. I believe in creating space, and Saturdays are meant for my fiance, and soon they will be meant for my baby. Um, And that's what I do. I don't work, right? Sundays, I'm not going to lie. I do some work, but that's okay. I, I love what I do. The point of this is every single Friday, I make a point to sit down and journal my reflections of the week. What is the biggest lesson I took away? What is the biggest revelation I had this week? What was the biggest victory? Because a lot of times, I know I do it and I know a lot of you do it. You go through life without celebrating your wins. Whether they're big or small, you just keep moving forward and you forget to stop and smell the roses. And honestly, if you do not stop and smell the roses, aka celebrate your victories and celebrate your wins and appreciate what you have accomplished, you will not experience more victories and wins in your life period. I truly believe that's a foundational key for success. So I wanted to share that with you guys because it is Friday. If you're listening to this on time, it drops at 5 a.m. on Friday. And I wanted you guys to know the biggest and best part of my Fridays. Um, So you can take it away and you can do it yourself and you can experience some more growth and some more learning opportunities to help you do more of the great things you do. So my advice to you is do some homework. Stop, take your journal out, Reflect on the week, write down your biggest lesson of the week, your biggest takeaway, your biggest revelation, can be a sentence or a paragraph, your biggest one thing, and then write down your victory of the week. It's simple, it'll take you two minutes at most, but I highly suggest doing that and I promise you it'll not only lead to a better weekend, but it'll lead to a better week when Monday comes around. Next, I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Reebok One, who I love and appreciate because... I am obsessed with the training gear I got from them. Guys, if you want to be rocking some shit that'll have you training like a madman or a mad lady, whoever's listening to this, hit up ReeboqOne.com slash boom boom. Link is in the description. You can get an awesome discount. And if you're a trainer, you can actually join a community of like-minded individuals who are going to be doing some big things in the industry. I promise you that. It's a great place to be, guys. So one more time, that's ReeboqOne.com slash boom boom. Now, without any further ado, let's get to the Q&A. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, we have a Q&A, my favorite, where I can drop knowledge and just answer questions, and I feel like that's usually the best way to go about any of this, um, and the best way to give content to the people. So, we're going to start off with my girl, Lulu the Art Girl from Instagram. She said, food combining, what are my thoughts on this? The idea that certain foods need to be eaten in groups and at specific times for alkalinity and good digestion. Well, first and foremost, I would say that the whole alkaline thing is just hype. It's really not that big of a deal. In fact, a lot of it doesn't even change. Like testing alkalinity through your like pH balance through your urine is actually a really poor way to actually see where your pH levels are, and they've done studies to show this. Um, Blood pH levels is where we really have anything to worry about or like be concerned with, and the issue with that is you can't test that through your urine. Um, On top of that, they've shown that diets actually, like food doesn't even really alter your alkalinity 
period. So the same thing goes with uh, sodium. When we look at salt, sodium, um, alkalinity, all that stuff, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter when it – and it depends on your goals, right? So it doesn't matter for weight loss as much as people make it think. The diet is all hype. It's a big fad, and I do not think people should be concerned with it. And at the end of the day, your body regulates that really, really well. So our body will adjust its uh, alkaline, pH, sodium, electrolyte, all these different levels of our system. It will regulate that very, very easily on its own. It's got a really good system with that, and we don't have to worry about that. That's why I hate when people cut out salt the same thing. Like you don't need to cut salt out of your diet to lose weight whatsoever. In fact, you need salt to perform at a better level. Um, so I'm not a big fan of anything alkaline, any hype around the alkaline diets or anything like that. Now, when it comes to food combining, again, I think it's somewhat hype. I don't think it's uh, as big of a deal as people make it seem, um, but it can help depending on the situation, right? If you eat proteins and fats with a carb source, those carbs are going to digest a little bit slower. So if you're about to go train and you have a big carb and fat and protein meal, it's probably going to digest pretty slowly. So you might want to take some fats out of that meal. Now, there are some very, very knowledgeable nutritionists that actually suggest you uh, always combine foods. Whereas the article she shared with me when she asked the question about like my thoughts on food combining, um, the article says that you shouldn't combine any foods. It actually says that you should eat everything by itself. And I don't know about you, but I don't know any time that I've ever just ate fucking brown rice by itself, right? Like very rarely or maybe an apple when I am like snacking, but you should actually be combining foods so you don't get such a big insulin spike. You don't play with your blood sugar too much. It actually has a much better effect on digestion, absorption, sustainable energy throughout the day, so on and so forth. So I would actually recommend always combining foods. Um, in fact, you should really be eating four to five meals a day and every single meal should have a little bit of fats, a little bit of protein, and ideally some kind of veggie or fruit source. If you are uh, able to consume a lot of carbohydrates, I would suggest every meal have a starchy carb as well. If not and you're looking for more fat loss, then you should probably couple your carbohydrates around the workout. So when we look at food combining, that's probably the best thing um, to go with, right? Like combine your meals equally, balance them out throughout the day, and then when you're training, have some carbs pre and post-workout no matter what. If you are somebody who can consume more carbohydrates, then have cons- – carbs in every single meal. I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, there's a lot of diets that suggest it. And if you get your metabolism up to a level where you can do so, I actually suggest it so you get more carbohydrates in your diet. Um, So that's my thoughts on food combining. I think it's actually smart to do. I think that all your meals should have a a little bit balanced macronutrient profile, especially around training. You need those carbs. Um, You might want to drop the fats a little bit around training so you don't have digestion being too slow around training. But otherwise, like the whole food combining diet and the alkaline diet, like all that shit is fads. Um, All that stuff doesn't matter as much as they want you to believe. You're splitting hairs at the end of the day. Like one of the things the article talked about was – Like depending on the time of day you eat, your alkaline levels will change with the food. So you have to eat this food at this time. It's all hype. It's all propaganda. It's all – it's, it's not worth getting sucked into and I think it's just going to – it's going to hurt your results in the long run because you're splitting hairs and you're worrying about shit that's not going to matter. At the end of the day, we got to remember the nutritional hierarchy, which is what I wrote my ebook about. Energy balance is first and that's calories in versus calories out. Then we got to look at macros. Then we look at micros. Then we look at meal timing, supplements, all that shit way afterwards. So the big key here is – Worry about your big rocks before you worry about the pebbles. And food combining and alkaline diets are purely pebbles. 
Next, we got Naomi Mercedes, which is one of my clients. I got to give a big shout out to her. She's killing it, and she had some crazy results that she shared with me today after like three months. So um, shout out to Naomi. Um, She said, setting both short and long-term goals in training without an actual deadline. How do you pick and choose what to focus on when there are so many possibilities or options of things to improve on? It's almost hard to read my own handwriting. This is bad. Um, Shit. Setting both short and long-term goals. I think that – I think short-term goals are absolutely essential. I think you need to set uh, objective um, goals no matter what and I think you need to set little mini goals within those big goals, right? Because if we set a goal for – in three years, I'm going to be here or in one year, I'm going to be here next summer. That's a long fucking ways away. So I want to break that up into 30-day chunks, 60-day chunks, and 90-day chunks. Um, and then you have a bunch of 90-day chunks leading up to that 12-month goal, right? Um, so I think that's very important. Now, if you do not have a deadline, I think that it's important to set metrics, metric-based goals, right? So whether you were looking at performance, you're looking at body composition, you're looking at biofeedback, which is a huge thing that I keep talking about. It's something I use with my clients because I think it's very, very important. And it's something I bring up constantly when I'm talking to new clients. If you're not recording biofeedback and metrics on a regular basis, it's going to be extremely hard to know that you're actually progressing and be happy with the results you're seeing. Or to even have any results, period, right? So I see a lot of people who are just going through the motions and they're actually not seeing any results whatsoever. And if they are, they actually do not know if they're getting consistent results because they're not tracking anything. And that's why I love biofeedback. Biofeedback is gonna be your hunger, your cravings, your sleep, your stress, your recovery, your fatigue, your performance. When we look at all these things across the board, even if we don't have a deadline or we're not quite at our body weight goal or body measurement goal or whatever the fuck it is, we at least know that we are improving. We see biofeedback every single week improving as we go, and that is so huge. So if you have no deadline, you can set a goal around biofeedback. Like I want to noticeably feel better, see, like sleep better, um, get better quality sleep, better stress, whatever it may be, um, which is hard to focus on, but again, it's very, very important. Um, there's so you're right. There's so many things to improve on. Um, setting both short and long term goals. Let's see. I think that you should set a long term goal no matter what. Like I think that if you don't have an actual deadline, make a deadline. I think deadlines create urgency. They create a sense of urgency, a sense of I want to get this shit done. And if you're not constantly driven to get shit done. You need to create a deadline to get shit done. And I think that's very, very crucial. Whether we're talking about your body, your physical being, uh, we're talking about your business, it doesn't matter. I think that you should set some kind of deadline or time frame to get something done or get something accomplished. It's super, super important. Um, so my suggestion to you is just, I mean, for one, Noemi's my client. So I would just tell her to pick my brain and we can have a conversation about how to set those goals so you can figure out what you want to achieve. Um, but then you just assess everything, right? So look across the the board at what you're doing now. Where is your bench press? Where is your squat? Where's your deadlift? Where's your 300 yard shuttle? Are you doing CrossFit? Okay, cool. Where is XYZ measurements for um, specific wads, right? Um, where is your body composition if you're into bodybuilding and stuff? So there's so many different things. You can set a photo shoot. At the end of the day, you have to have a purpose behind it all. Um, and if you don't have a purpose, start asking yourself why. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? And if you can't figure that out, hire a coach. Like, one of the best 
like biggest reasons or biggest duties I have as a coach is to just ask why and pry out answers from an individual because I will look towards an individual and ask them like, why do you actually want to achieve this? And then when they tell me, I ask why again, and then I ask why again, and then I ask why again, and we keep digging deeper and deeper until we truly find out what the purpose is behind everything. And that can change over the years. Like I've shared multiple times that my purpose and my like my big drive and fuel to do everything I do in my life is my fiance and my baby, right? We're, we just purchased a house, which I'm super excited about. And the whole drive to make that happen was this baby, like Everything is for this baby. I want to be super lean. I want to be super fit. I want to be super healthy for this baby so I can be like the ultimate fucking dad. And that's all I care about, right? So now I do have a deadline. And I have a deadline March 12th because that's when baby Blakely May is going to be here. But the point is, is before that, I had to uh, create some kind of deadline. I had to create some kind of urgency and I had to create some kind of goal to shoot for. So before the baby was here, I set a really big long-term goal based on my vision of my business and my vision of my body, my strength, all that stuff. Then I chopped that down into little goals. So a lot of people know that I jumped into CrossFit. Well, one of the reasons I jumped into CrossFit is because my goal is to experience everything possible. Once I finish this whole CrossFit thing, I'm going to move on to something else. I've done the bodybuilding thing. I've done the athlete thing. I've done the weight loss thing. Now I'm moving on to CrossFit. It's a completely different realm and it's super cool. So to me, fitness means so much more than one modality and that's why I did this, right? So I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's a really good question. Like, how do we set goals um, without having an actual deadline? Well, I think the answer is number one, create a deadline. Number two, figure out what your long term goal is first, and then set up a bunch of mini goals along the way. And then figure out like metric based outcomes, metric based goals, metric based uh, measurements, things that you can tangibly do every single week to measure where you're at across the board. And again, that does mean body composition. It does mean performance. Yes. But it also means biofeedback because if you're not paying attention to the physiological side of things as far as sleep, stress, hormonal, hunger, cravings, uh, sex drive, all these different things, then we're kind of shooting in the dark because those things need to be a priority. All right. So the next question we got today was from RD Spirit of Nutrition for Fitness. It's a long ass name. You might have to critique that a little bit and make it easier to say. Thoughts on fasted training. Okay. Um, personally, I'm not a fan, but that's just because I don't like training fasted. Now, I have, uh, I have a few handfuls of clients who train fasted, and the reason being is because they train super early. So if you have to get up at 4.35 a.m. to just to get a training session in before you go to work, I don't think there's anything wrong with training fasted. I don't think your muscle's going to fall off of your bones and you're going to be screwed. Now, I would, again, I'm really big on metrics, so I would measure your performance, right? So go train with food in your stomach, like a solid carbohydrate protein meal, and measure your your outcome of that training session. How did you perform? Did you have more energy? Did you bonk halfway or did you get through? Now, some people will train better fasting because they have more energy. So it really, really depends. It's a very individual thing. I don't think like all the hype and all the old myths around like you're going to lose a ton of muscle mass, your body's going to eat it away and you're going to become super catabolic. Now, obviously, it's not a very anabolic thing, but I don't think we have to worry so much about 
losing all of our muscle, losing all of our gains just because we did a fasted training session. Um, I do highly recommend my clients to get some kind of protein carb post-workout, not only to replenish and avoid catabolism, but also because there's a cortisol response when we train, right, which is good. When cortisol goes up, um, we essentially are in fight-or-flight mode. If we look at, like, I hate to bring up caveman days, like a paleo guy, but um, and I'm not, but if we look at back in the caveman days, when cortisol went up, we were running from a saber-toothed tiger. This is great because it allows us to perform at maximal effort, and we can get, get the fuck away from that saber-toothed tiger. Same thing applies with training. If cortisol goes up during training, we are probably going to perform better. We're going to be more explosive. We're going to train a little bit harder. That's great. After training, we want to blunt that cortisol response so we can get into parasympathetic mode for our nervous system, which is rest and digest. We can start to recover. So if you are training fasted, I highly recommend to make sure that you are getting some kind of carbohydrate protein drink right afterwards or you go right to a carbohydrate protein meal. Um, But overall, I don't think it's too much of an issue. It's very individual. It just depends. I don't recommend it if your goal is building muscle and I don't recommend it if your goal is absolute strength. Because I think that even if some people do feel like more focused on a on a mindset or a brain cognition level, I do believe that from a performance standpoint, just about everybody is probably going to perform a little bit better when they train with some food in their stomach. Some protein is going to be good. Some carbohydrates is going to be good. A little bit of fats to slow down digestion but not too much to make digestion too slow. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't recommend it to everyone. So it's pretty individual. It's not the end of the world but I'm not a huge fan of fasted training. All right. Uh, next question is from Joe Hansoberg. Why are so many CrossFitters so ripped? <laughs> um, you know what? Like I, I don't know if – Johan Soberg uh, does CrossFit, but um, he might notice that not all CrossFitters are that ripped, especially when you go into your average box uh, down the street, right? Like, so I think it really depends. Now, if if most people look at TV, they look at people who are sponsored by Rogue, they look at people who are sponsored by Reebok, and, and they watch the CrossFit games, and they're like, these motherfuckers are shredded. The reason you can't watch that and believe that that's what CrossFit does is because the people in the CrossFit games are genetic freaks and some of them are on drugs. Like it's obvious there's got to be people on steroids and testosterone and different insulin, whatever it may be to get that extra edge, which is fine. It's a sport and I'm not going to knock them for that. Um, cause that's a physical choice. Who cares? Um, but at the end of the day, like when we look at CrossFit, I don't know how many people compete in the CrossFit games, but let's say it's 30 people in, in the entire CrossFit games. That's 30 people in the entire world that are competing. Like, you you got to understand that those are genetic freaks, and we got to look at this too. Like if you look at um, uh, Matthew something Matt, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. He he's won multiple times on the CrossFit Games. He's not the most shredded in the CrossFit Games, and there's a reason for that because he's healthier, right? Having a little body fat is good for performance, but that's besides the point. Why are so many CrossFitters so ripped? Well. Most of them are so ripped. Like the guys who are really, really ripped and the girls who are really ripped who are not on drugs, who are natural in CrossFit, typically actually consume a lot of food and they they expend a lot of energy. So it's kind of like that G-Flux theory that John Berardi had way back. 
eat more, move more. So they're doing every aspect of training. They are doing a lot of cardio. They're doing a lot of explosive movements. They're doing Olympic lifts. They're doing hypertrophy-based stuff. They're doing strength-based stuff. So they're hitting a little bit of everything, and they don't care so much about how they look. They care about performing, so they eat a lot of food. And what happens with this is they actually end up getting pretty fucking ripped because their metabolism goes up, they're building muscle, and they're building strength, right? So it's it's pretty important to understand that these people who are on like who are ripped in CrossFit are eating a lot of food too. I see a lot of and, and this is coming from a nutrition coach who has a lot of clients in CrossFit. A lot of clients who come to me who are looking for an aesthetic goal who are in CrossFit are under eating and that's why they're not reaching their goal. They are training their ass off and they are not eating enough. The amount of clients I have re- reverse dieted or slowly brought up calories with and who have lost weight because of it is unbelievable. The highest, the higher percentage of people who come to me are under eating, and that's why they're stuck. Um, I just had a lady compete, Sarah, last weekend and crushed her competition for CrossFit. Um, same thing. She came to me and she was under eating. I had to bring her calories quite a bit up. Now she's performing at a crazy level. She's sponsored. Like she's going to go really far, hopefully all the way to the games and CrossFit. Um, but it's because we started bumping up her calories because she needed food. So um, – I'm go- again, I'm going on a little bit of a rant and a side tangent with this question, but I think at the end of the day, it's important to know that CrossFit doesn't get you ripped. CrossFit is a sport and that's what it's meant to be. Um, if you are going to do CrossFit, you need to increase your calories significantly. When I jumped in CrossFit, and I only do it once or twice a week, I'm not doing a ton. I was doing it three times and I slowly backed off of it because it is a really high demand sport um, and I'm doing it as a sport. I increased my calories significantly when I started doing it because the output and the recovery needs are very, very high. So that's something to remember. Um, but overall, the reason CrossFitters are rip are one of two things. One, they're a genetic freak and they're on TV and that's why. Uh, two, they might be on drugs if they're on TV and they got that far. But not everybody is. So that's not a shot um, at them at all because r- drugs are not – the shit they do in the CrossFit Games is extremely impressive. Um, and three, they probably eat enough to actually sustain what they're doing. Um, those – there's a lot of people who do CrossFit that aren't ripped. I'll just – I'll leave it at that. All right. Next question is from Marty Marr. I love that guy's name, Marty Marr. He sent me a really long question, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make this a little bit brief. I'm gonna summarize it. I'm a minimalist. A minimalist. Uh, no supplements. Quiet music. Just water. Like I just like to train. Nuts and bolts. Nothing crazy. Am I depriving myself of gains because I'm so minimalist with the approach? I have a lot of friends who reach out and try to get me to take creatine and they try to get me to use straps and use chalk and all these different things, but I I choose to go the minimalist route still. What is helping my results versus what is cheating? So I think minimalist is great. I think most people should be more minimal, have a minimalist approach because there's a lot of shit out there that just doesn't really matter that much. And I think it's it sucks that so many people dive into all these crazy supplements and they dive into all these crazy fads and programs and everything when really you need to eat good, you need to focus on staying hydrated, and you need to perform well. Like that's all that really matters. You don't need all these crazy gimmicks and stuff. But I will say if you're somebody who has been training for a long time and you're not taking any creatine, you're not supplementing with fish oil, you're not taking vitamin D, you're not taking vitamin C and magnesium at night for extra recovery, you're not doing these little things, I think you can deprive yourself at a certain point. If I get a client who comes to me and they have 50 pounds to lose or they're a skinny guy who just needs to gain weight and they're like at ground zero, 
I am going to take a very, very minimalist approach because they don't need a lot of stuff. So what I recommend to people is you want to do the minimal effective dose to get the biggest bang for your buck. Because if I start a client and I go, okay, we're training six days a week, we're doing cardio, we're following macros, we're carb cycling, we're intermittent fasting on the weekend, we're adding these supplements and I do all this stuff, yeah, they're going to get great results. But then a couple things. First of all, which one caused the biggest change? Which one was the really like the big thing that made a huge result for them? And two, what else do I have left on my tool belt to give them once they hit a plateau? Because the plateau is guaranteed to happen. It's only a matter of time. So what I would suggest is, is adding one thing at a time from the beginning. Now, I know Marty Marr has been training for a while because he's been a, a longtime listener of the podcast and he's asked many questions over the years. So for him, I would say you might want to add these things, dude. There's nothing wrong with creatine. Creatine is a very backed up and scientifically proven supplement that works. And I highly suggest it to all my clients who want to build muscle or strength. So for the for him, I would suggest taking creatine. I would suggest taking fish oil. Um, dude, if, if, if using a strap is going to allow you to deadlift more or allow you to row heavier dumbbells, then I absolutely think you should use a strap if your goals are strength and, and hypertrophy. Why wouldn't you? Um, so once you hit that point where your grip's giving out, you should use straps. Once you get that point where you're not building muscle anymore, you should add creatine in. Um, If your joints are hurting, you shouldn't try to go through just food when you know fish oil will help inflammation in your joints. So I think that for you personally, Marty Mar, you are depriving yourself of some gains because I know you've been training for a long time. But for most people, I always suggest starting with a very minimalist approach um, because why throw in all, all... all everything you have, all your tools at once right at the beginning when you know you're going to hit a plateau and you might need those those tools later on down the road to get through that plateau. Um, and then last but not least, like what is helping and what is cheating? Like all that stuff helps. I don't think anything's cheating until you take steroids and that's still like relative, right? Like if if I decided to take steroids and that's that and I and I do not because that's not like ethically what I want to do. Um, but if 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 it is and I decide to go that route, I mean I don't think that's cheating, right? Like I think it's cheating if I take steroids and then I go into a natural bodybuilding federation and pass the test and go into their natural federation and natural competition while using steroids. That's cheating. But nothing is cheating if it's okay with you. And especially not like the shit you asked about, like creatine and, and straps on your wrist. I don't think any of that's cheating. I think everything is good. All right. Next, we got my boy, Matt Prince from Down Under. That might have been a horrible Australian accent. I'm sorry, Matt, if you're listening to this. But my boy from, uh, I want to say Melbourne, but um, love this dude. I think he's going to be up here in Seattle, actually, in uh March, I think, right? One of my babies here. So hopefully I'll get to see him when he comes up. He asked, and I think this is a really good question. I have a hormonal specialist coming on soon, and he he asked a question for that guy, but I want to take this and answer this now because I don't know if we'll get to this on the podcast with the hormonal specialist because it's like jam-packed already. How does a driven man operate at a high level across the board without creating adrenal fatigue causing regular burnout? So – um, it's a really good question because as we know, like, and I wrote about this heavily in my recovery article on boomboomforms.com, which I can link to in the show notes, but essentially my, my whole theory was called dips, diet, intensity, patience, sleep. Um, and ideally I would actually set it up like sleep, diet, intensity, patience, because I think that those are the easiest things to influence, right? So first we want to change sleep. 
then we want to change your diet, then we want to lower intensity, and then we want to just be patient. Because at the end of the day, like, like, and I know Matt, he trains like a fucking madman. He, he, like, super strong. He's into strongman stuff, into powerlifting stuff, um, into like kind of like the West Side barbell style training. But he also does a lot of mixed martial arts shit. He was just in uh, Thailand doing this like MMA Thai boxing like camp or some shit which just looked crazy intense but the dude is going at a million miles an hour on top of that he runs a business he has rental properties so he's a hustler he's an entrepreneur and the question is simple like how does somebody like him continually grind like that without causing burnout or adrenal fatigue now i personally believe that and i've seen this with people and specific like actual mentors of mine who are, are so mentally strong and so driven to do what they do that they actually get adrenal fatigued and they just fucking blow right past it because they're so unbelievably driven that they don't even let it stop them. Um, so in some cases I say that, you know what, like I think it's placebo. I think it's a mindset thing and I think some people are just so strong that they'll ignore all the symptoms and just keep pushing because their purpose is so strong. And I think honestly, like to not not to toot my own horn, but I think I fall into that category sometimes because there's been times where I have biofeedback markers that are not doing too well uh, but I just it doesn't slow me down because I have a purpose like not only do I have a baby on the way I have a beautiful fiance that I want to provide for and I have like these goals but I also am creating a movement with this podcast with my business I'm, I'm trying to create a team I'm trying to create a culture of people and I am creating a culture of people within my team at Boom Boom Formance but Sometimes that overrides. So it's it's really important for those individuals. So if anybody's listening to this and you're a hustler, you grind, you push yourself in training, you push yourself in everything you do and that's just your natural nature, I would highly suggest recording your biofeedback because once I did um, – it taught me like, oh shit, I really got to kind of monitor this. And honestly, that's why I hired a nutrition coach. Like I am a nutrition coach. I know what I need to be doing, but accountability is so huge. So I actually hired a nutrition coach um, to take care of me. Shout out to Brandy. Um, and she, what she does is essentially forces me to track biofeedback. Not only am I tracking my macros with her and she's adjusting for me. So it's not like a, a personal opinion of what I should be doing, but it also allows me to stop and reflect and record like, okay, on a scale of one to five, how was my sleep this week? How was my training this week? How was my energy? How was my sex drive? How was my cravings, hunger, everything? That allows me to realize, oh shit, maybe I'm just ignoring the symptoms. So Matt, what I would say is like how you operate at that level without getting adrenal fatigue or just causing regular burnout is really just such a strong mindset that nothing else matters. But I would suggest you to record your biofeedback to make sure that you aren't just ignoring those symptoms. Um, but another thing too is like there's certain recovery strategies, right? Like so how does a driven man operate at such a high level across the board? Well, most people who – like I know for me personally like – I work a lot. Um, I put all of my energy into my relationships. I put all my energy into my training. I'm on point with everything I do and everything is go, go, go. And I know Matt's the same because I know I'm on a personal level. And what we both do in common to make sure that we're not getting adrenal fatigue is we eat enough food. We're not under consuming calories. We get enough sleep on a regular basis so we're not depriving ourselves of rest and recovery. Um, We meditate on a daily basis. This is huge. We self-reflect by journaling. So 
I think certain things like that can actually lower cortisol, increase testosterone and mood and actually help your body recover. Um, and actually the hormonal specialist that I'll be having on the podcast, I've actually talked to him about a very spe- specific uh, or similar conversation and he said the same thing. A lot of clients who are suffering from extra estrogen from overstress and who are suffering from two chronic high, chronically elevated cortisol levels, um, HPA access dysfunction, which is just adrenal fatigue, all these different things, he'll actually implement meditation and journaling and stress relief protocols like that, and they actually help tremendously. So that would be my biggest recommendation is going to be that right there. Um, just, just focusing on those things and just take care of your recovery, man. Like if somebody is, if you're a producer like that and you're doing those things, you need to be eating enough food and you need to stop worrying about anything else. All right, I want to answer one last question um, was specific to the hormonal uh, thing. But again, I want to answer this now just because uh, we might not get enough time to come to it. But we had a few people. So we have uh, Mylan asked a question, but Susie Keen and Liz Case agreed and wanted to know about this. I have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. How can I modify my training and nutrition to reach weight loss and strength goals? What will help and what won't? What I would say is this. like We're going to go over training first. So in PCOS is a very, very common thing with a lot of women. It's very, very uh, well-known. It's very, very common across the board. So it's definitely something that a lot of listeners right now are probably going to be able to relate to and and try to adjust. Um, Training, you're not going to have to modify too much. Like If someone has PCOS and I look at their training and they're doing too much of anything, then I will tone it down so they can recover. But that goes across the board. Like PCOS is a good sign of um, not necessarily like weak hormonal system, but it's just a good sign of maybe your hormones not being optimized, might not be thriving, right? So for training, what I would suggest is really just making sure you're recovering, going back to that DIPS protocol, right? Make sure your diet intensity... Uh, patience and sleep is in check so you're recovering enough. So with that being said, I would be strength training two to three days a week, just lifting weights. Um, and that's going to be like on a high intensity day. So maybe you're lifting two, three days a week with some high intensity finishers and you're doing low intensity cardio two to three days a week. Very simple. Don't go overboard with anything. Um, some people can get away with doing high intensity slash strength training three to four days a week and then low intensity two days a week. Um, and that's fine too, but you shouldn't be training seven days a week. You shouldn't be overdoing anything. Um, even low intensity cardio, if you overdo low intensity cardio, that's not good. If you overdo high intensity cardio or strength training, which is a ten- in essentially a high intensity modality, that's not going to be good because you're going to be under recovering. And when we under recover, we take a shot at our hormones. And when we take a shot at our hormones, it's going to affect that PCOS. Um, but the big thing you're going to want to worry about is nutrition. So the, the big thing to remember is with with nutrition, like the the big thing with PCOS is insulin sensitivity, right? When you um, your androgen levels can actually be altered and it can throw off some of the processes of insulin, which makes it so your body has to work a little bit harder uh, to utilize insulin for benefits. That's why, like a lot of people who have PCOS, will have a different body fat storage process than typical women. Like we all know, like the pear shape, right? So most women just naturally store body fat on their legs and hips um, and men store body fat around their waist. Well, a lot of women who have PCOS will actually store body fat on their belly area, their low back, like that uh, 
love handle, um, spare tire region. And the reason being is because their insulin sensitivity is off. And when hormones are off and insulin sensitivity gets affected, your body will naturally store body fat around your stomach area more likely. Um, So that's one of the issues here. Now, what I would suggest is Focusing on an insulin, uh, you might want to go with a higher fat, lower carb approach because your insulin sensitivity is off. And that doesn't mean you have to cut out carbs forever. But what it means is you should probably have a moderate to high protein diet, um, a moderate to high fat diet, and a pretty low carb diet until you can remove more body fat. When you remove more body fat, naturally your, your insulin levels will improve and get better and at that time you can start to shift from a a moderate high fat diet to a a moderate low fat diet with a moderate high amount of carbs Um, in an ideal world i think everybody i shouldn't say everybody but most people do really well with a high carb approach that i've experienced Um, you perform better you recover better it's more satiating uh, for like social events and stuff it's easier I just like a high-carb approach, but at the end of the day, if your insulin sensitivity is pretty bad or you you have insulin resistance, carbs are not going to be your friend at first. Um, So if you have PCOS, you might have an issue with insulin, and and in that case, I would focus on more of your carbs coming from veggies. So um, we want to look at lots of greens. You want to have a serving of fruit a day, and then like your starchy carbs should really be pretty limited to like Things like sweet potatoes, pretty paleo style diet would be really, really smart for people with PCOS um, because it's going to be better on your insulin levels. Um, So that's going to be the big thing. And to be honest with you, the smartest thing for anybody to do with PCOS is to hire a nutrition coach because they're going to be able to dial you in and keep you consistent so you can fight past that. And honestly, a lot of people with PCOS don't actually have PCOS. And I know that might sound crazy, but there's been plenty of times where So at the end of the day, when you walk to a doctor, they get paid for you to visit and they can give medication and and advice for PCOS and it's an easy thing to um, diagnose. Um, And the reason being is because the symptoms are very similar to every single other symptom of a either unhealthy or not hormonally optimized or active individual. Um, because I mean, there's so many factors revolving around your environment, your stress, your current diet, your current training that can cause similar symptoms that PCOS does, and it can cause insulin issues. Then uh, you walk into a doctor and a doctor can, can diagnose you with many things, but what's going to make him money is most likely going to be PCOS. And it's a very easy thing to, to, to diagnose women with. I've personally, and I've, I know like people like Jason Phillips has talked about this as well, um, has personally coached people who come to him with PCOS and what they do is they reverse the symptoms by increasing their calories, increasing their recovery, changing their training just a little bit just to optimize recovery and their nutrient timing around training, so on and so forth. They lose body fat and when they go back to the doctor, they've reversed all the symptoms of PCOS and the doctor goes, holy shit, like how have you done that? Well, it's because they never had PCOS in the first place. So... It kind of depends. Now, that doesn't mean everybody out there listening who has PCOS, it doesn't mean that you don't have it. Like there's plenty of women who do and you can absolutely negate a lot of the symptoms and still lose body fat while having that as long as you kind of go along the guidelines of what I'm saying. Be smart about training. Don't overtrain. Get your sleep. Get your recovery. Reduce environmental and external stresses in your life across the board. Um, Probably focus on a moderate fat, high-protein diet with lots of veggies and then keep your carbs around your training just to optimize insulin levels and keep insulin low throughout the day. Um, And once you lose body fat from doing all those things, you can slowly increase carbs and calories, which will help the whole scenario in the long run. But that's pretty much how it's going to be covered. 
All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. Real quick before I let go, um, let you go, I want to just say I appreciate you all for listening. I appreciate you all for subscribing. I appreciate you all for constantly tuning in. I love doing this show. And if you can help me out by just leaving a five-star rating and review, I will be able to continue doing this show every single week and continue getting awesome guests on the show for you. If you're already subscribed, you have to go to the search thing on iTunes. Don't know why, but go to search. Search the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. And please leave a five-star rating and review. I'll talk to you guys next time. 